0: Recorded live. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Fellow Adamites, we are seeing the cracks emerge in Babylon. We are seeing the cracks spread. I don't believe it will be too long now before we hear, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And Yahweh willing, we shall all be there to witness it, and all the world shall bear witness to the power of Yahweh. If you have not begun to prepare for the things which are to come, the things which you are already starting to see happen, then you had best do so now. Now is the time to make preparations, gather supplies, make plans, and focus your efforts to keep on the straight and narrow path. Be right with the Heavenly Father, and he shall bring you through the plagues that await this doomed nation. Today is December 13, 2009. It's a Sunday, and Bill Fink is joining us for the second installment of the Frankfurt School on Cultural Marxism. How are you doing tonight, sir?
1: Hello. Praise Yahweh. How you doing?
0: Hey, jolly. I'm doing quite well.
1: Great. The um well well last week I think that we saw that there are clear connections between the the Frankfurt School and the 1960s radicals that that um the media lauded so greatly and 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 that were the the root well well the they they were basically the front men for the sexual revolution, the feminist revolution and and all of the other perversions of our society in the 1960s and 70s and and they're directly connected to the frankfurt school all of them all all of the abby hoffman abby hoffman um jerry rubin angela davis all all of these icons of the 60s are were studied went to college and universities and, and studied under frankfurt school professors like herbert Marcuse. And, and as we'll see tonight, Theodora Dorno, who, who was a figure at Berkeley, which is the school Jerry Rubin attended, and, and I, tonight we, we should probably center around the, um, the the Jewish destruction of the Christian family, which was affected by the same people, by the Frankfurt School sociologists.
2: I, I, I don't
1: know if you have any opening remarks. I'd, I'd like to start with. A review of Cry Havoc by Ralph de Toledano.
0: All right, that's fine with me. I just wanted to say that as we were discussing earlier, the destruction of the family was necessary since the Jews had to remove that obstacle in the, and that was in place of their transforming this society from what it was into the cosmopolitan hodgepodge mess that it presently is. Well, and that's that absolutely happens, the true. The the Jews family,
3: wanted...
1: I'm sorry.
0: I was going to say, had it not been for the destruction of the family, we wouldn't be here today, since they basically turned us from a society where women were under the coverture of their fathers and then their husbands into one where it's a free-for-all and everyone's told to just be as promiscuous as you want. If it feels good, do it, and don't worry about when you um, finally want to settle down and have kids. If you have syphilis, who cares? And they basically just, they they took all the consequences away, didn't they? They said, oh, here's a birth control pill, don't worry about getting pregnant, and if you do, you can go get an abortion, and people went wild.
1: The Jewish plan is to destroy Christendom and to destroy the white race. And they realized that the family unit what was the nucleus of the clan, which is the nucleus of the race, and they had to destroy the family unit, which is the basic building block of Christendom. And once they destroyed the family, that they could decimate our race, which which we see the evidence today all around us. And and they um, this is an old plan. It's expressed in the Communist Manifesto. I'd like to. Um, I I have some quotes. The bourgeois has torn away from the family its sentimental veil, and has reduced the family relation to a mere money relation. Now now this is the communist commentary on the family, and and the bourgeois in the Communist Manifesto is really. The middle class working family with a trade or or a professional occupation that that earns income and converts that into property holdings. And that is what Marxism defines as bourgeois. We would call it the middle to upper middle class in this country today.
0: I've explained to my dad that communism works so well because, it, you know, it goes hand in hand with Judaism. Judaism teaches that the goyim have no property rights. Communism teaches the bourgeois have no property rights. And it just so happens that all goyim are bourgeois.
1: Yeah, well, that's what it boils down to is that in, in Marx? if you yeah, – you know, they lie about how they apply the term. Yeah, you know, we think when a Jew says bourgeois, we think he means upper upper class you know, the nobility, but he's not meaning the nobility. He means the middle class, um, homeowners, the middle class tradesmen, the middle class businessman. That's who he means when he says the bourgeois. And and that is what the communist manifesto is aimed at. That that's its true intention is to destroy that middle class Christian family. That this is a It's a Marxist reaction. This statement about the bourgeois I just um, quoted, the bourgeois has torn away from the family its sentimental veil and has reduced the family relation to a mere money relation. Well, well, that's a lie from the mouth of the Jews because this is a Marxist-Jewish reaction to Christian family ties. And Christianity, as Paul teaches in Romans 12, Christianity teaches us, meaning white Christians, to prefer one another, in the centuries before the Enlightenment, Christians were most were mostly very wary of doing business with the Jews, and and we still should be today, but we're we're not, and we we've, we've actually been trained that that the Jew is the the person we're supposed to do business with. He's supposed to be the middleman and the businessman. Basically, that's what the, um, the the paradigms in society have taught us but it, we shouldn't be doing any business with the Jew. And, and well, the Jew purposely um, went after capital. You know, we were offered two parent. We have Rothschild capitalism, and and that's Jewish, and we have Marxism, and that's Jewish. None Capitalism is not related to free enterprise.
0: Absolutely not. There's no possibility of free enterprise when the Jews are at the helm. And as you were saying about do, n- no business with the Jews, when I begin the show and say, come out of my people, and we're told to come out of Babylon, that certainly means to financially come out of Babylon and to sever all ties with Jewry.
1: Well, absolutely. There's no doubt. I have some, some other um, quotes from the Communist Manifesto. The bourgeois family will vanish as a matter of course when its complement vanishes, and both will vanish with the vanishing of capital. In other words, the Jew contrived capitalism on one end of the spectrum, as a bogeyman, and Marxism on the other end, and, and both ends work to destroy us in the middle. That, that's the way I see it. That, that's, yeah, you know, They're both Jewish creations, and we are offered these by our media and, and academia as an alternative one to another, and that's a lie. Neither There's more alternatives than just Marxism and capitalism, because both of those are Jewish systems, and both of those are... New to our to to our civilization,
2: capitalism really was nothing but a Jewish conception until the Bank of England was founded, and and now it's become
1: the de facto system of the West. But it was never intended to be the system of, of the the
0: economic system of Christianity. And people think that Adam Smith spoke about this system and that it was the cornerstone of the founding of our nation. He never mentioned it. It was free enterprise. I don't think he used the word capitalism a single time.
1: He did not use the word capitalism once in Wealth of Nations. He may not have used it at all. I know it doesn't appear in Wealth of Nations. It, it's free enterprise, and it's the free enterprise of, of the, um, the the founders of this nation. You know, the American, the writers of the American Constitution, and it has nothing to do with um, usurious capitalism. That there's a huge difference between free enterprise and capitalism. And and capitalism is the antithesis to free enterprise. Because basically, one party in a capitalist society, one party, which happens to be in this world the Jewish banking families, controls the means of exchange, which is the currency. That's not free enterprise. Whoever
0: controls the currency controls all commerce.
1: Right. That's not free enterprise. That's not free at all. We've been we've been lied to by the Jew, and we've bought his lie. And, and now the, the Jew wants to use this
2: capitalism as a bogeyman that he set up in order to destroy Christendom. The bourgeois claptrap about the family and education, I'm quoting again from the Communist Manifesto,
1: about the hollowed correlation of parent and child becomes all the more disgusting. Now these are the words of the Jew the more by the, the action of modern industry. All this all family ties among the proletarians are torn asunder. That's the Jewish goal in the Communist Manifesto. And their children transformed into simple articles of commerce and instruments of labor. That's the Jewish accusation of of capitalist society. And and here we see that the Marxist Jews clearly use Jewish capitalism in a very clever way against Christian society. I'm going to com- quote again from the Communist Manifesto, All
3: right.
1: and I won't comment this time. But the socialist and communist publications contain also a critical element. They attack every principle of existing society. Hence, they are full of the most valuable materials for the enlightening enlightenment of the working class. The practical measures proposed to them, such as the abolition of the distinction between town and country, of the family, of the carrying on of industries for the account of private individuals and of the wage system, the proclamation of social harmony, the conversion of the functions of the state into a mere superintendence of production, all these proposals point solely to the disappearance of class antagonisms, which were at that time only just cropping up and which in these publications are recognized in their earliest, indistinct, and undefined forms only. Thus, these proposals, therefore, are purely utopian character. In other words, the Jew, and these are the words of Frederick Engels, the Jew
2: considers the destruction of the family and the abolition of property as utopian. Hmm. I, I would say that... The, the, the
1: sociologist, and, and we'll get into this in a few minutes, but the sociologists at the Frankfurt School created biased surveys of which the results were intended to show that a central authoritarian father figure was overbearing and oppressive, and they sought to portray that father figure in as negative a light as possible and as the source of all evil and hate in the world. And and I think that this this is so you know speaking about two seed line, you know, and and the original rebellion of of the race of angels against Yahweh wasn't that a rebellion against the father figure? Absolutely, in fact. And, and the Jews today still rebel against the father figure and and the authoritarian society. From from this they public, from this idea, the Jews published these so called studies. The the Frankfurt School sociologists, and and we'll get into um, Kevin McDonald's work a little later, uh, his culture of critique, and and how he his work goes a long way to elucidate the preconceived nature of the results of the work of these sociologists and the actual biases which lie behind it, because the basic. Um, Intention of these sociologists, these Jewish sociologists in the 30s and 40s, was to undermine the family unit, to destroy the family unit, the legitimacy of the father figure, and basically to use that to 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 dissolve the the Christian society.
0: So they they use so-called science, hiding behind the facade of genuine scientific study and um, empirical research to basically just undermine and attack Christianity and the foundations of a civilization.
1: That's exactly what they did. And I'd like to quote from that Cry Havoc, a review of Cry Havoc,
0: which is a book by Ralph De Toledano. I'm sorry. Before we, we get there, I'd just like to remind everybody that isn't this exactly... What we discussed in Germany and the Jewish problem, that they masked all of their perversions under the guise of scientific study. It was the study of human sexuality, but really they're advancing pornography, interracial sex, and homosexuality.
1: Exactly. That they, it's license in the name of liberty. Mm-hmm. It's perversion in the name of freedom. That's the, That's what the Jew does.
0: They claim that they're studying so they can achieve progress for civilization, but they're really undermining the very foundations of that civilization.
1: Absolutely. That, that's their goal, and and yeah, they call it progress. They they always put nice labels on evil things. The woe to them who call good evil and evil good, eh? Hmm. This is a review by um. It's from a review by a book called *Try Havoc* by Ralph de Ralph de Toledano. And, and I don't know Ralph's um. And I don't know what his real political leanings are. He was one of the co-founders of the National Review, and and I know that. That they're just Christian Zionists for the most part. They're just another arm of the Zionist agenda today. However, Ralph, um, this is a pretty good expose. He says In America, the hour is late. The forces seeking to destroy the family have conquered much. How, conservatives wonder, did it come down to this? In his final book, Cry Havoc The Great American Bring Down and How It Happened, Ralph de Toledano, the late great conservative journalist, and po- polemicist provides part of the answer. Now, those words are the Nathaniel Blake's. And, and now Blake is quoting Toledano. The neo-Marxists didn't look to the economic series of Marx, but to his earlier, more destructive impulses. They didn't want to abolish capital. They wanted to abolish society. In his book, de Toledano provides the history of the aims, origins, rise, and dominance of these intellectual barbarians. Quoting de Toledano again, Years before he had inflicted the unscientific maunderings of das Kapital and the dogmas of dialectical materialism on a long-suffering world, Marx had called for what had to be accomplished. The ruthless destruction of everything existing, the destruction that would wipe out religion, the family, morality, the free interplay of men and economic forces, that's free enterprise, human relationships, and everything that made
0: Western civilization. Well, right here, this is something that I've quoted from Russia Number 1 before, and Gerald's talked about it. Right out of Russia Number 1, it says... I consider that the immediate suppression of Bolshevism is the greatest issue now before the world, not even excluding the war which is still raging, referring to World War I. And unless, as above stated, Bolshevism is nipped in the butt immediately, it is bound to spread in one form or another over Europe and the whole world as it is worked, organized and worked by Jews who have no nationality and whose one object is to destroy for their own ends the existing order of things, end quote. Haven't the Jews always sought to destroy the existing order in a society so they can remake it in their own image?
1: Absolutely. And and this is this goes right back to you know, Russia number one is is about Marxism in the Soviet Union and this goes right to that. The mm-hmm. next paragraph in, in this review is a quote from De Taladano again. So in nineteen twenty two the conspiracy was hatched at the Marx Engels Institute in Moscow by Karl Radek, a power in the Politburo and the representative of Lenin, uh, I'm sorry, of Lenin, Felix Jerzynski, head of the Soviet secret police, George Lukacs, cultural commissioner of the short-lived Hungarian Bolshevik Revolution, and Willy Munzenberg, the Comintern's organizational genius. So so these are the names behind this conspiracy that Tullodano is pointing out. They seeming, the seemingly modest instrument was the Institute of social research planted in a prestigious Frankfurt University and dedicated to neo-Marxism. So Ditala Dano is saying that these Marxists in Moscow are responsible for the creation of the Institute of Social Research, which became known as the Frankfurt School. To a great extent, the conspiracy succeeded and Ditala Dano recounts in brutal detail how the cluster of, well, pseudo, I'll I'll prefix, intellectuals around the Institute of Social Research became the powerful group known as the Frankfurt School. It began in Germany where the institute led by Theodor Adorno had a connection to almost every debasement of art and culture, but it did not end there. Its outreaches into Britain comprised the intelligence services of that compromised the intelligence services of that country, but the greatest harm came when the Frankfurt School decamped to America, courtesy of John Dewey at Columbia University.
0: You mm. all comes back to Columbia.
1: And this is why John Dewey is the, considered the great educator. <laughs> because he's the one that brought the frankfurt school to america so so we're going to have to look into john dewey sooner or later
0: so this is basically just jews rewarding jews they consider him the great educator but he didn't do anything other than bring poison to our country
1: well evidently that's what he's most what he should be most remembered for that's for certain so so we have the frankfurt school actually was conceived according to the Taladano at the Marx-Engels Institute in Moscow. And they ended up here, and the result of that were all the cultural revolutions of the 1960s and 70s. The direct result of that.
0: So, as I said earlier when we were talking before the show, we right now are living the fruits of the Frankfurt School. We are living the fruits of cultural Marxism, this throwaway gutter society that is worthless, it has no root in itself, and it's just ready to fall.
1: Absolutely. Uh, our boys wander aimlessly in the streets dressed like hookers, and, and our girls
2: are swap and spit with
1: each other in taverns mm. because of the Cultural Revolution and the work of the Frankfurt School. That That's exactly the result of that. Homosexuality, lesbianism, Lost children and and um, a, a decrepit, debilitated society, a, a porn a porno society, a, a society that's that's steeped in pornography and Jewish perversion at every turn. A, a Jewish comedian um, further debouching the pillars of our society at every hour and on television and in Hollywood and in the movies. Hmm. It's the direct result. There's no doubt.
0: And the Jews love this sort of societal chaos, don't they? Since they can offer the order of a Jewish tyrannical government, essentially. When the, when the people are desperate, they go from one extreme to the other. The Jew uses anarchy to assure communism will come about.
1: And, and yeah, right. Anarchy in, in order to ensure that totalit- Jewish-led totalitarianism comes about.
0: Mm. Since they control all angles of it, they they control the right side of the, the spectrum and the left side of the spectrum. It's a false paradigm. One thing I've noticed, I was talking to my dad. I asked him if, if he notices any anti-war movement today now that Obama's in. Have you seen any tens of thousands of people in the streets demanding that Obama remove no, the... No, it's
1: disappeared, ah. but we're still in Iraq.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and we're building up in Afghanistan.
0: So that whole anti-war movement... It was based solely on the people's perception that George Bush was a conservative, and they knew anything a conservative does, or someone they believe is a conservative. I don't believe he's actually a conservative, but that point aside, they figure anything a conservative does is wrong. We need to take to the streets and undermine society.
1: Well, well, right. It's all part of the undermining of society, but George Bush was controlled by, by neocon
0: Jews. Obama oh, is and
1: mean, controlled by... Um, the same people. Basically, Zionist Jews. They're all Zionists. And and you have liberal Jews and neocons, and I don't know what the difference is. I mean, I know what they say the difference is, but I don't see it. The, The neocons are all former 60s and 70s radicals who all of a sudden started calling themselves conservatives. It's not the conservatism that's new. It's the Jews that are new conservatives. That's why they're called neocons. It's basically... The, the uh, Marxist-Leninist takeover, it's like Arlene Johnson turns Republican. Hmm. <laughs> it's its the Marxist takeover of, of the right wing of American society.
0: They figure that conservatism is getting out of control and they need to jump on that bandwagon so they can guide it down a dead-end path right into the wall or right off the cliff. So all of a sudden they change their uniform. They take off the, the red jacket and the, the little communist cap and they set aside the red banner and they pick up the stars and stripes and start shouting about freedom.
1: Exactly. And, and and freedom to the Jew just means the freedom freedom to be a sexual pervert. Mm. The the freedom to walk down Fifth Avenue in a tongue and 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 shout
2: homosexual epithets and, and slogans. That's all it is. Okay, you you want to start with um Thomas Wheatland?
1: Uh, I mean, basically, the, um, the this is Kevin McDonald, Professor Kevin McDonald's review of Thomas Wheatland's *The Frankfurt School in Exile*, Part One: Authoritarianism and the Family. And and it can be established for the most part that after the Frankfurt School moved to New York, the core philosophers were Horkheimer, Adorno, and Marcuse, Theodore Adorno and and Herbert Marcuse. And, and we saw last week how Herbert Marcuse actually professored many of the 60s radicals at Brandeis University uh, among them, Angela Davis and Abby Hoffman. And, and he was their professor. They studied directly under him, and he was one of the key founders of the, of the Frankfurt School. And, and I think that the authoritarianism of the family is going to concentrate more on this um, The the studies produced by the Steador Adorno, which were um, the authoritarian personality is a classical work in social psychology sponsored by the Department of Scientific Research of the American Jewish Committee Hmm. in a series entitled Studies in Prejudice, which was closely connected with the so-called Frankfurt School of predominantly Jewish intellectuals associated with the Institute of Social Research originating during the Weimar period in Germany. Well, well, we really saw it originated at at the Marx Marx and Lenin Institute in in Moscow. The first generation of the Frankfurt School were all Jews by ethnic background, and the Institute of Social Research itself was funded by a Jewish millionaire named Felix Weil. Wheel's efforts as a patron of the left were extraordinarily successful. By the early 1930s, the University of Frankfurt had become a bastion of the academic left and a place where all the thinking of interest in the area of social theory was concentrated. During this period, sociology was, was referred to as a Jewish science. <laughs> <laughs> and That's the red. Nazis came to view Frankfurt As itself is a new Jerusalem on the Franconian Jordan. Do you have any remarks to that?
2: (laughs) That's bad.
1: Well, well, it hits it right on the head. Sociology is a Jewish science.
0: Like New York today.
1: Why do Christians need sociologists? Christians don't need sociology. Sociology was a Jewish science, which was the study of destroying Christianity. Mm. That's the way I look at
0: it and all they do is they obfuscate the truth and they look to find reasons typically oppression by white christian males for why nice sweet blacks like the nice ones in new orleans that arlene spoke about go crazy and rape white women and chop off heads
1: and that, yeah well they'll twist that into a way of um
0: they've actually of some blaming
1: it on the white women that get raped
0: they've come up with a theory now called post traumatic slavery disorder saying that 400 years ago, the blacks in this country began being conditioned and exposed to violence, and they internalized, and they went from being peaceful tribal people to violently vicious, nasty people because they had to be tough to survive the slave days, and they've carried the violence down through to today, and they can't help but be violent against the white man. Now, that just sounds like a -a cockamamie load of bunk.
1: Absolutely. I, I I have a different take on the Frankfurt School from a Catholic commentator here Mm-hmm. Timothy Matthew's Catholic Insight, March 2009, and, and I, I'm sorry I'm quoting from a Catholic. I know how we all feel about those, but, but this actually he and and it's evident that that Marcuse wasn't at Columbia, Adorno was at Columbia, Theodore Adorno, but not all of the Frankfurt School ended up staying at Columbia because Marcuse was in um he, he I'm sorry. Adorno ended up at Berkeley in California. Horkheimer stayed at Columbia. Marcuse ended up at Brandeis University. But these guys continued to work together and and to be associated with one another. And and they basically spread themselves out. And and we know which way Berkeley went in the 60s. And and this this guy actually explains explains that and, and lists the schools that they went to. The Frankfurt School is Columbia, Princeton, Brandeis, and California Berkeley. Even though I don't see a um, any direct references in, to Princeton in in my you know the the research I did the last two weeks on this topic, this is my first reference I've seen to Princeton. To further the advance of the quiet cultural revolution, referring to the Frankfurt School, but giving us no idea about their plans for the future. The school recommended, among other things, the creation of racism offenses, the continual change to create confusion, the teaching of sex and homosexuality to to children, the undermining of schools and teachers authority, the huge immigration to destroy identity, and, and it can be shown that the destruction of national borders is also a plank of the Communist Manifesto. The promotion of excessive drinking, the emptying of churches, an unreliable legal system with bias against victims of crime. Well,
0: like, those have
1: poor, like those poor white women that get blamed for the black rapists.
0: Absolutely. And that, um, that 15-year-old white girl that got gang-raped in California, they're already starting to blame her, saying that she went off with those beaners to drink whiskey. And she says that she wasn't drinking anything. They just grabbed her off the sidewalk and pulled her into a park. Well, right. when a
1: white girl's the victim it's always the white girl's fault.
0: But when a black
1: hooker performs at a at a, at a, at, a <laughs> at a for college fraternity and and claims that she gets molested, every member of the fraternity
0: should be hung. And then it turns out it was a lie. And then it turns out it was a lie, right? But but we don't hear about that. They report, "Oh, the the charges have been dropped," yet they were pounding the drums so long that those boys are ruined for life now.
1: Absolutely and and there's three more planks to the frankfurt school's goals here dependency on the state or state benefits controlling and dumbing down of media and encouraging the breakdown of the family mm. <laughs> now the the only one the only thing i have a problem with is that mcdonald and all these other commentators i, I don't know about mcdonald's other work i don't know if he really writes about the media but all of these commentators seem to miss the fact that the media in, in this country was Judaized for the most part, it was bought up by Jews entirely independent of the Marxists and the Frankfurt School. Mm. And and long before the Frankfurt School ever came here in nineteen
0: thirty three so did um Jews already control the media. Individual Jews were advancing the interests of Jewry as a whole perhaps not consciously, but simply through their actions as a person on a daily basis by buying up all the papers that the Goyam owned.
2: Well, well,
1: I think uh, I look at it differently. I, I look at it as an orchestrated effort by the Rothschilds and and the, the um, Samuel Untermeyer and the Schiff's and Chase and all those Jewish banking families, Bernard Baruch, to make sure that money was directed to... Jews so that they could buy media outlets
0: the way I see it is that and each Jew is basically just programmed with his DNA Satan's genes that he carries with him and he goes out and does his own little part to destroy and tear down Christendom and sometimes they unite and collaborate and sometimes they disagree on how exactly they should strike but each and every one of them is doing his part whether he even realizes it or not
1: well I I can't prove it, but oh you you know to a great to a great Degree, I believe that you're right, but I really believe that the control of the media was orchestrated, and it was mm. orchestrated by the bankers. Uh, I mean, I can't prove it, but when when you look at the amount of media outlets that the Jews had bought up or started during the Depression, when when the average white guy couldn't get a dime, mm. and 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 the average Christian in this country couldn't get a dime. Jews were buying up and/or starting media enterprises in this country by the dozens.
0: And I don't dispute or disagree with that, but I'm just saying that when they don't collaborate, they still seem to have no trouble with it, withering away, uh, withering away our society.
1: So, so they don't make the, they don't make the, you know, they talk about the Frankfurt School wanting to control the media, but they don't make the connection that the the Jews already controlled the media long before the Frankfurt School uh the the wall street I, I know that the wall street journal i, I don't know when that was bought but the, the new york times was bought by um by Jews in 1895 the Salzburgers. and mm-hmm. and eugene meyer bought the new
0: york bought i'm sorry the
1: washington post in 1933
0: so they tend to go after established reputable newspapers that are well, familiar with well, did that the
1: they did that but they also founded new outlets because William Polinsky was a Jew, Bill Paley, and, and he founded CBS.
0: Generally speaking, once they take over a newspaper, an established from like the New York Times, they won't immediately switch it to pornographic filth, will they? Because that would cause a backlash. They just gradually change the character of the paper. They obfuscate and conceal the truth, and they substitute Jewish lies and Jewish ideology.
2: Well, that's Network. what they do, right. Jewish Network. and young. I, I mean, all of the... Um, I, I never saw an
1: editorial manager at the Wall Street Journal that wasn't a Jew.
3: Mm.
1: And and the last two, I think, were um, Brett Schundler. And, and his
0: job before that was
1: with the Jerusalem Post.
0: Well, I'm trying and, to remember... what before
1: that was Dorothy Rabinowitz. You think she's a Jew?
0: <laughs> what was it Hitler said that? They have the liberal press, the Jewish press, the Marxist press... And the Jews have basically control over all of them. And then they have their underground pornographic publications. And in the the respectable newspapers, they use a lot of phraseology, big words. They try and take on a veneer of intellectual academic qualities with them and they try and sway people into thinking, wow, they use a lot of big words and multi-syllabic words. They must really be smart. Or they cite all these professors from all these universities. This is the paper I'm going to read. But they never get to the, the meat of the situation. Is there anything to back up all those claims? And they're doing the same thing in this country in regards to the media, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. They've got Bill, the, the wall. Bill
1: actually um, came to acquire the company that, that – became CBS in nineteen twenty seven. And and it was named Columbia Broadcasting System. Uh, I wonder if that has any connection <laughs> to Columbia University. <laughs> well what this only... whole that uh, this whole um Dewey and this whole hotbed of liberal Marxist activities really started out in in this country anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Fausto in the chat
0: said that Marcuse invented the slogan make love not war. I wouldn't doubt it.
1: That that's I I wouldn't doubt it one bit.
0: And the Jew is at the forefront of changing the idea of love-making to simply sex. They think that the act of sex becomes the act of love. Haven't they been at the forefront of changing people's perceptions of what constitutes love-making?
2: Yes, they they have
0: replaced agape with eros. So there, there's really no love in casual sex or fornication or people that have sex as easily as they would shake each other's hand.
1: That they have totally replaced agape with eros, which is Christian charitable love with with um, erotic, erotic what what you want to call love, but it's really lust. Hmm. The, the Greeks had several words for for, um, for love, and we, we're lacking that. <laughs> Well, we have them, but we don't use them. We we misuse the word love.
0: Or when people talk about love at first sight, I, I, I really doubt that that's love at first sight. <laughs>
1: it, it's definitely lust at first sight, no doubt. Mm. Love at first sight is instant lust. There's, there's no doubt. You, you can't love somebody you never even spoke to. Absolutely. In, in, in the man, in a Christian manner. You, you want to get on with um, review, the review of Thomas Wheatland's The Frankfurt School
2: in Exile Part 1, Authoritarianism in the Family? all right i'm pulling that up now where did we leave off we we haven't even um started it yet
0: oh, okay i thought that's the one you were already reading from okay and this is um from professor kevin mcdonald that one the review yes all right and kevin mcdonald is a psychology professor at california state university this is from october 19 2009 He begins, Thomas Wheatland's book, The Frankfurt School in Exile, provides a useful historical account of the travels, connections, and ideas of an important Jewish intellectual movement. The Institute for Social Research began as an orthodox Marxist organization during the Weimar period. During this period, they were dedicated to studying the class struggle and were often in close contact with members of the German Communist Party. Like several other members of the Institute, Max Horkheimer, who became head of the Institute, came from a wealthy background, but like so many Jewish radicals, had a moral and emotional opposition to bourgeois society. Page fifteen. Now, now, now
1: let <laughs> me just interject here that you know most of those '60s radicals came from wealthy Jewish backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't you don't get to go to Columbia and Berkeley and Princeton and and Brandeis universities if you're from a um, from a poor Christian family, mm-hmm. unless you got like a. a a four point oh grade average all the way through high school, and and you might might get a scholarship. Uh, I mean, it's remotely possible. But um, yeah, well, you, you just they all came from rich
0: Jewish families. And all the money, m- money's always great, but if you can't use it to gain power over the working classes by making them think you're going to champion their cause and address their legitimate grievances, what good is your money? And that's what they always seek, isn't it? They want the power that only comes through the support of the masses
1: absolutely Wheatland that's the um the white man works hard so that he he can build his society and a Jew
0: works hard so he could control it Mm. there's a huge difference Wheatland agrees with other scholars that a persistent motivation of the Frankfurt School was to understand why a working-class revolution failed to occur in Germany Two main theoretical thrusts emerge from this realization, a critique that located ethnic prejudice, backward religious attitudes, and lack of revolutionary fervor in the family, and a critique of mass culture seen as promoting passivity and escapism rather than revolutionary consciousness. Part one of this review deals with the first of these issues. Part two will discuss the theory of mass culture and interactions between the Frankfurt School and the New York intellectuals. Now, Fr- now when,
1: if, if we study Theodore Adorno's work, all right. And Theodoro Adorno's main work is his study, The Authoritarian Personality. All right? And we will see that it's really all about anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And the Jews put it together themselves. These Jews actually put the failed workers' revolution in Europe together with feelings of anti-Semitism amongst the Christians of Europe. And and they attribute that as the cause to why the workers' revolution failed. Now, why should a workers' revolution care about a religion? Unless it's really just the entire revolution is just um, being agitated by people of a particular religion to gain advantage. That's what it really is about. And the Jews admit it in their own studies, but non-Jews are too stupid to see it. Until 50 or 100 years later, anyway.
0: And by that time, tens of millions of white Christians are dead, and the Jewish commissars have looted the nation and moved on.
1: Uh, Absolutely, and and I think the only non-Jew that did see it, at least see it clearly, was Adolf Hitler. All right, go on. I won't interrupt you for another paragraph or
0: so. The Frankfurt School finds authoritarianism in the family. Since Marxist revolution was so obviously desirable to the Frankfurt intellectuals, they developed a theory in which the failure of revolution could be attributed to psychopathology in the family. As reviewed here, the epitome of psychological health was, quote, the genuine liberal, a radical individualist who was completely detached from all in-groups, including race and family. White people who rejected their family as role models were analyzed as psychologically healthy, while those who had positive views of their parents were analyzed as psychologically inadequate. And and And,
3: that...
1: that means that the metrosexual wandering pervert that you were talking about is basically the um, yeah, the, the epitome of jewish
0: psychological health and they they, they they concoct these elaborate theories mainly freudian psychology that boys fear castration from their father so they wind up hating their father and lusting after their mother and if they don't there's something wrong with them
1: right they can wrap perversion in a in hundred thousand fancy words can't they
0: but and perverted. it all boils down to just perversion when you really examine it. Mm. <laughs> and we can see, I think, we're starting to see that Freudian psychology goes hand in hand with this Frankfurt School.
1: Right, it does, and and they used Freud as a source of inspiration. And, and Nietzsche, who was basically, you know, Nietzsche was probably an ethnic German, but he was another pervert. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the source of his pollution was, but. His mind certainly was polluted. And 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 the end of Nietzsche it, is a result of, of that because he ended up dying in an insane asylum, didn't he? Mm,
0: I believe so. Such a view is obviously subversive of traditional values since competent parents transmit their religious and cultural values to their children. And at the time of the study, many of these competent white parents had a sense of white racial identity which they were transmitting to their children. And I'd like to pause here and say that I've noticed on a lot of websites, the so-called libertarians nowadays are talking about how it's not proper for a parent to com- convey religious teachings to his children, that they should allow the children to decide for themselves, and that the parents have no moral authority to instruct their children what to believe. Don't you believe that we have an imperative, though, to make sure our children believe the right thing?
1: Absolutely. But don't you believe the libertarians aren't just another extension of Judaism? Absolutely. It, they're basically. Another... like it, It's like a, it's, it's. It's not as radical as marxism, but but it's basically Judaism, it's perversion in the name of freedom.
0: It's Judaism light.
1: Yeah, basically,
0: like social democracy. The Frankfurt School was essentially claiming that white families who successfully transmitted their ethnocentric attitudes to their children were pathological, a view for which there isn't a shred of evidence, but that's never stopped the Jew, has it? Not at all. Needless to say, the successful transmission of Jewish identity to Jewish children was not considered a pathology. Isn't this how it is today?
1: Well well, you know, the Jew is the world's ultimate hypocrite. And and this is absolutely true. If if you read now now I've read most of um McDonald's critique of Adorno's work. Okay. I I've read and that's in um it's available on his website. And and it's called chap it's, the culture of critique is his book and, and chapter five is freely available on his website and and I'm sorry but the, the name of the site has escaped me right now. But the entire thrust of Adorno's work is is built around that very idea. It it's built around destroying the family unit and and be, because the Christian family is pathological and, and that destroys the nation, but it doesn't say anything about the transmission of Judaism from generation to generation. It, it's just like um, Jewish Jewish apartheid in Israel is not a problem, but white apartheid in South Africa was was a problem.
0: And in fact, the whole world had to act on that boycott South Africa. Kissinger threatened to invade South Africa several times. The Soviets. Well, well, it's,
1: it's unquestionable the devil is always always exposed as a hypocrite. And and that's why Joshua Christ called the the Jews hypocrites how many times? In Matthew chapter 23, 8 10 12 times. In Matthew chapter 23, I don't have it off the top of my head, but but that was his major the major charge he leveled against them throughout the New Testament. Well, aside from all the murders and everything, but the yeah, most most often he he leveled the charge of hypocrisy against. Them.
0: We were told that that is the in, in fact eleven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy.
1: Yes, and and here we have these Jewish psychologists, uh, uh, well attempting effecting the destruction of of Western family values of Christian family values. And and they say nothing about the transmission of Judaism and the Talmud from generation to generation.
0: And yet they're calling themselves doctors, yet they know nothing about how to make a man whole. Nothing. All they know how to do is destroy and tear down.
1: That's what the devil does.
0: And he does it under the guise of healing, doesn't he? He comes in bringing the promise that he's going to usher in a paradise on earth. Well, that's,
1: you know, where Paul says that even Satan dresses himself as, you know, makes himself appear as an angel of light. And here we have it, angels of light in America's universities, polluting them and infesting them.
0: Like that Dr. Spock character who said, here's a new way to raise your children. Your children will love you for this.
1: And, And Dr. Spock graduated from Columbia University, 1929. And and grew up teaching a, uh, two generations of American parents not to hit their poor oppressed children.
0: The baby then.
1: And, and we have several generations of absolutely unruly children because of that. Because the word of Yahweh says, he who spares the
0: rod hates his son. And we were told to train up a child in the way in which he has to go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. But how many children today, they haven't been trained up in any way. They've just been told nothing matters, and if it feels good, do it, and just live your life, and if you think you're a good person, you're a good person.
1: Absolutely. You you want to continue with with um.
0: All right. With... A major part of the intellectual ammunition for this assault on the people and culture of the West derived originally from Eric Frome, whose association with the Frankfurt School dates from 1930. Frome pioneered the idea of combining Marx with Freud, and was responsible for the early development of the authoritarian personality concept. Fromm's ideas are an excellent illustration of the ludicrous but deadly theories that resulted from this marriage of these two influential Jewish philosophers. For example, in Studien Über Autoritat und Familie, 1936, Fromm wrote, With regard to authoritarianism, masochism manifested itself in the surrender to authority, and sadism was evident in the acceptance of social hierarchy. In the developmental and sexual sense, the authoritarian character had suffered a regression from genital sexuality to infantile sexuality, accompanying this regression of libidinal energy. Frome also expected a shift from heterosexual to homosexual behavior among authoritarian personalities, quoted in Wheatland, page 68. Now, who but a Jew would think that an infant has sexual identity and sexuality?
1: Well, well I'll, I'll say this. You know, the Talmud... Has many passages concerning children and infants and sex, mm. and, and it, it Jews, um, it, it's it's the the devil loves to debounce children. There's no doubt. Now I would not I would not see how Fromm's idea of merging merging Freud and Marx is unique because to me freud is is the talmudic yeah you know freud's psychology is is the talmudic expression of psychology and and marx is the talmudic expression of, of economic theory I, I mean it's it's just two two separate sides of the same beast it's two separate facets of the same beast
0: yes it's just d- different limbs of satan
1: yeah different limbs of the same tree i, I don't see how they're so disparate I don't see how Fromm's idea is so unique, but with perhaps the, McDonald, not understanding the, the Talmud, I, I think may not realize that.
0: And it seems that the Jews, despite saying that we're all sexually repressed and we're regressing, they sure do talk about sex a lot, don't they? Sex is at the front and center of all of their theories.
1: It's it's not a, it's the front and center of all of aspects of their lives. That their comedian sex, their movie sex, their song sex. Sex, sex, sex. That's all the Jew wants. That It's it, it's right back to the serpent in Genesis 3.
3: Isn't that Corrupting exactly... our race with sex.
1: Sexualizing everything. Eroticizing every aspect of life. The Jew cannot keep sex from his
0: mind. That's what the serpent wanted for me right away. Sex. Exactly.
1: By their fruits you know them.
0: As a psychologist, I really can't imagine a more ridiculous theory, unless perhaps one counts Freud's politically useful Oedipal Complex. None of these ideas ever had a glimmer of empirical support. Freud's theorizing, one hesitates to call it a theory, combines outrageousness with infinite plasticity. In the hands of Freudian revisionists like Fromm, it could be used as a weapon against those who resist a communist revolution. Eventually, Fromm's ideas would be the basis for the authoritarian personality and its assault on white racial identity and traditional Western family values. And I'd like to point out here that I believe it was Lenin, in the early 20s, he said that those who were not politically correct had to be mentally ill, for nobody in Russia except the mentally ill could have genuine and sincere opposition to the party platform.
1: Absolutely. And and that's, that's you, you know, if you oppose liberalism today, you're mentally ill. We hear statements in the news all the time from liberals talking about the mental illness or the psychosis of conservatives. Or how we're Christians ignorant. are mentally ill. Evangelicals are mentally ill. And, and that's how they term us. If you don't um, run down the street half naked and engage in sex with ten guys tonight, you're mentally ill. <laughs>
0: And if we object to that, that's because we were abused as children, and raised in authoritarian families.
1: And um, any any perception of normalcy, uh, what we would consider normal or Christian or just and good, is conceived by the by the enemy as being mentally ill. <laughs> and in his mind, perhaps it is. But we have to understand that Christians aren't supposed to think like Jews. And and today in America we have a problem, and and in the entire West. Throughout all of Christendom, we have a serious problem because most Christians are thinking like Jews. They've been trained to think like Jews from their teachers, their televisions, their radios. It, it's all, an ex- all of that media is an expression of Jewish thought.
0: And more than that, the Christians actually care what the Jews think of them, and we're not supposed to care what they think of us. <laughs> As, about- absolutely.
1: It, it's. That's the hypocrisy of the devil again. They fear the Jew more than they fear God. And, and Jews can curse Christians all the time, but don't a Christian curse a Jew. It, it's headline news.
0: <laughs> it, you're a mentally debauched criminal. Wasn't it Bernard Lazar who said the Jew is not satisfied with de-Christianizing? He Judaizes. He destroys Catholic or Protestant faith. He provokes indifference, but he imposes his idea of the world of morals, and of life upon those whose faith he ruins. He works at his age-old task, the annihilation of the religion of Christ. And that's, that's Jewish it. author Bernard Lazar.
1: And, and that's exactly what they've been after for 2,000 years. They, they stole the kingdom. They stole the identity, and Christ threatened that, that theft. And, and Christ threatened their their um, their moral... High high ground that they took, and and showed them that they were hypocrites, hmm. and and they hate him for it, and, he, and he, they want to destroy everything that's righteous, and and Christianity is foremost.
0: And he repeatedly said to them, "Did ye never read the scriptures? Have ye he not heard it said? Have ye he not heard it read?" And indeed, they have never read the scriptures.
1: No, and and the Jews are still killing Christ every day, hmm. and and every Christian that that follows the Jews is contributing to that.
0: He said though that the kingdom would be taken from them and given to those who bring forth the fruits.
1: Yes he did. And and for a thousand years it was. But now we're back in that time where our um, kingdom is handed over to the beast. We let them That's, take it back. It's in fact, the perfection of the word of scripture. In fact, we didn't simply let them take it, we handed it
0: over to them.
1: Basically we have. every time you deal every time you you deal with a Jew, you're you're giving him up up great part of the kingdom that's what it boils down to
2: you're handing him his power we empower the Jew shall we continue with Wheatland yes
0: Wheatland however is utterly credulous in discussing these preposterous ideas Frome had carefully examined the empirical findings exercising caution to make use of his data Frome utilized every response to each question to provide confirmation for his character models. In, in
1: other words, they had they had the um the conclusions already. And they they created these um these tests, these surveys in in a manner that would would just um the the end result was, was guaranteed. The the isn't way that, the questions were phrased, the questions that were asked of people. It it was inevitable that the results they wanted were going
0: to be the outcome. Isn't that what they do today with their studies to prove that race doesn't exist?
1: Well it's it's they do it all the time. They've always done it. They they define the, the terms of the questions and, and the outcome is always the inevitable conclusion that they've already arrived at before they hold the test or mm. conduct the survey.
0: The test is just to confirm what they want to confirm.
1: Absolutely. And and so that they can quantify it and call it scholarship. And and
0: that's a major
1: underlying thread in, the you know, McDonald's um, The Culture of Critique, Chapter 5 of his book, The Culture of Critique, is, is that all of Adorno's work was built to arrive at those, those preconceived conclusions.
0: Doesn't that fly in the face of the basis of the scientific method?
1: Well, absolutely and and there is some there is some criticism of it now as macdonald rightly rightly points out but you know the cat's out of the barn the, the horse is out of the barn the the thousands of studies were based upon adorno's work in in sociology and and this authoritarian society that he's attacking and and the family unit that he's attacking and basically you know with the growth of government and the great society in the 1960s and the growth of government control over people and all of these agencies that were formed in the 1960s and 1970s like the social work agencies, the 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 welfare agencies, the division of youth and family service agencies, DIFES, the, um the the acquirement of greater and greater government control over every facet of our lives and our families.
0: It's an accomplished fact.
1: Well, well, all of this, who did they hire to fill all of these bureaucratic positions? And, And these bureaucrats have authority now. I mean, authority as far as the government's given them. It's not righteous authority, of course, but it's governmental authority. They all have authority, and they're all sociologists and psychologists trained in academia and the academia is the studies produced by the Frankfurt School sociologists. This mentality is what created all of these government agencies. And the people that were employed by all of these government agencies were trained academically with this as the grounds for their scholarship. This is the basis for their scholarship. This is what they learned in order to go out and and conduct their business in all these government agencies. So these people have been trained to hate Christianity, to hate the family unit, to despise the father as the central
0: figure of authority in the
1: family. And they're the ones that are working in all these social services agencies.
0: And they've raised their children the exact same way. So even if we counter these teachings now and undermine them and answer the false charges that they raised, it's too late since two, three, now the fourth generation is growing up under this.
1: Right. And, and tens of thousands of kids went off to school in the 60s and 70s to become sociologists and psychologists. And this is the trash that their heads were filled with. And we wonder why we have a problem today. This is exactly why. And and there are other elements, too. But this is the basis for all that are academia.
0: As Hitler said, their head has been filled with a sewer pump.
2: Exactly. But know this. If somebody tells you, That they
1: studied psychology or they studied sociology or any other related field in college the last 40 years, this is what they've learned Adorno, Marcuse, and Horkheimer. That's what they've
2: learned. Marxism, pure Jewish Talmudic Marxism.
0: All right. Ah, yes, Eric Frome. Ever the dedicated impartial empirical scientists, and such findings have never been confirmed by the research of actual psychologists, indeed, they would be laughed at as the height of ridiculousness. One would think that Wheatland would at least suggest that perhaps Frome was reading his a priori theories into the interview results, a common enough practice among psychoanalysts. Indeed, a strikingly similar passage to Frome's monstrosity can be found in. Dialectic of Enlightenment, 1944, by the two leading lights of the Frankfurt School, Max Horkheimer and Theodore Adorno. Quote, The forbidden action of killing one's father out of Oedipal jealousy, which is converted into aggression, is generally homosexual in nature. Through fear of castration, obedience to the father is taken to the extreme of an anticipation of castration in conscious emotional approximation to the nature of a small girl, an actual hatred to the father is suppressed. Page 192. That's now, now where, where do they
1: get this from? Where, where do they – this is a direct product of the Jewish mind.
0: Well, where does it come from? It comes from the depths of a depraved, perverse mind that's why, incurably ill. Why would Ill.
1: any Christian father ever even – why would the thought of castrating his son or, – or why – I mean, I was a son once – I would never think that my father wanted to castrate me. Where would this come from? Except right from the the Talmud, you know, the mind of the devil.
0: And better yet, who would pay good money to send their children to a university to have their heads filled with this garbage?
1: Well, you know, three generations of American parents so far have paid. Or four have paid. And this is exactly what they got their child's heads filled with. And and this is why um, girls are running naked with, with Negroes around our dormitories today. So in, in the
0: 60s, they send a, a pretty decent kid to college, and the kid comes home burning his draft card and saying, you want to castrate me, Dad, you're an oppressive white power monger. The girl comes home, if she comes home at all, and she's burning her bra and saying that she's going off with Leroy and Tyrone to have an orgy.
1: And, and if she's not running off with Leroy and Tyrone, she's running off with Mary and... I'm sorry, with... Pick two women's names.
3: <laughs> it
1: it's um yeah, that's the way it is. And and that's why our, this is why our universities have become what they are. Because well, they all follow this model and this pattern. Almost uh, not every university is this corrupt, but every university has some degree of corruption and many universities are this corrupt.
0: You know, I found I, I, something- I
1: put a um up on the front page of Christagenia Yesterday, I put a PDF file that somebody passed to me from the University of Minnesota. up uh, And it's about um, transforming the University of Minnesota. And it's all about diversity. And it is absolutely sickening.
0: Well, it's sickening. part of this, they have children teaching children, the blind leading the blind. A, a teacher from Germany and Hungary, approximately 20 years old, give or take a few years. I think she's maybe 20 to 23. She actually did a strip dance for a class of 15-year-old boys at a beginning of the, t- the school year party. They were doing truth and dare and someone dared her to strip down, so she started dancing like a real pro around a pole. She took off her um, everything down to her bra. And she was starting to take that off, but another teacher came in and threw a tablecloth over her. The principal said that she will not be fired, that she's an invaluable asset to the school and showed no more flesh than you would see on a beach. And she's now the front runner for teacher of the year. Well, I, I, I imagine she's giving lap dances to the principal, and that's why he doesn't want to get rid of her.
1: <laughs> it's it's incredible. It's a, In New York, there were headlines in, in the paper the other day. In New York City, a janitor walked into a classroom and found two adult teachers, female, stark naked in the classroom. It, it doesn't went, say what position he found them in, but...
0: He said he uh, wouldn't I, comment on that because it, it wasn't appropriate to discuss the details. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that tells and, and this is right in the middle of a, a public school in New York City. It's incredible. That's and the I'm sure much worse things have gone on than that, but that this is the, um, the this is the result of our colleges and universities
0: today. I say, that's the second piece of evidence that the person must be a white Christian, since one, he's a janitor. That means he's probably not a Jew. And two, he said he won't discuss the details instead of saying he would sell them to the highest bidder. Where did
1: we leave off
0: with... Um, with Wheatland, with, with McDonald's review of Wheatland. You can't make this stuff up. Nevertheless, despite such passages in a generally fanciful theory of anti-Semitism, see Chapter 5, The Culture of Critique, Wheatland refers to Dialectic of Enlightenment as the Institute's theoretical masterpiece.
1: Wheatland, and and their theoretical masterpiece is, is their supposition that white Christian fathers want to castrate their, their
0: sons. To avoid competition for attention from the mother-slash-wife.
1: That's absolutely incredible. And, and only a Jew could think of, could think that up.
0: Well, I'd like to take the time to remind the people that in the Talmud, they actually teach that had Adam had a daughter, Cain would have married his sister so the world could be built up in grace. The rabbis actually declare that, that if Cain had mated with his sister, the world would have been built up in grace. It seems that the Jews are obsessed with the idea of incest. Have you noticed that?
1: And, and, you know, most of these, per I'm being honest, I'm not trying to be pious, but these perversions, I would never conceive unless I'd read them from in Jewish writings or heard them from Jewish comedians or, or seen the passages in the Jewish Talmud or, or seen a Hollywood movie, which, which is produced by Jewish movie producers.
0: All right. I, I mean, and- the
1: Christian mind does not conceive these things. The Aryan mind... Really, I mean, I don't know how much cocaine I had to snort to to conceive these things. This is absolutely disgusting. And this is 1930s and 1940s so-called social science. And and as we've shown, it's the foundation for the social sciences as they were taught in the 60s and 70s.
0: All right, and I found the exact passage in Sanhedrin 58b. They actually do claim that Cain married his sister. Come in here. Why did not Adam marry his daughter? So that Cain should marry his sister, as it is written, For I said the world shall be built up by grace, but otherwise she would have been forbidden to Cain. Once, however, that it was permitted, it remains so. Rabbi Huna said, A heathen may marry his daughter, but should you ask if so, why did not Adam marry his daughter? In order that Cain might marry his sister, that the world might be built up in grace. Others give this version, Rabbi Huna said, a heathen may not marry his daughter, the proof being that Adam did not marry his daughter. But that proof is fallacious. The reason was that Cain should marry his sister, so that the world should be built up by Adam's grace. So
1: are they saying that Adam was a heathen?
0: I don't know, but then Rabbi Hizda comments and says that a heathen slave owned by a Jew may marry his daughter and his mother, for he has lost the status of a heathen, but he has not yet attained the status of a Jew.
1: Well, isn't it incredible that the Jewish mind can contrive all this (laughs) out of an account that has none of this in
3: it?
0: Then they said that when Rabbi Demai came, he said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, in the name of Rabbi Hanaha, a heathen who allotted a bondwoman to his slave for concubinage and then took her for himself as executed on her account. This comes right after the discussion about whether or not a slave can marry his daughter and his mother.
1: Rabbis are the original thought crimes, aren't they?
0: (laughs) But this is their holy book. They they spend thousands of pages discussing things like this, whether or not you can marry your sister, if you can marry your daughter, I, and well, your brother. it's
1: absolutely sick. And th- this is why I call this the foundation for American case law, <laughs> because the the case law that we know in in our um, legal system today is actually based right on this. It's Talmudism,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and and I I've actually I mean. Without the allusions to sex and and marital relationships, I, I've read cases that sounded an awful lot like it. <laughs>
0: well, I've often pointed out that the Talmud is about fifteen hundred dollars, and it's uh, about thirty five volumes. That's thirty five separate books, and it weighs probably three or four hundred pounds. The Ohio Revised Code is about three or four hundred pounds, fourteen hundred dollars, and it's I think thirty four volumes. You think that's just a coincidence?
1: <laughs> absolutely not it's absolutely right. not a, They're 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 produced by the same minds
0: <laughs> Wheatland is typical of so many American intellectuals who became caught up in the well-honed mystique of the Frankfurt School completely losing their critical sense even a casual reading of dialectic of enlightenment indicates the importance of Jewish ethnic interests in developing a theory of anti-semitism and this is incredibly important in which the behavior of Jews is completely irrelevant. As Jacob Katz notes, the Frankfurt School has, quote, not been notable for the accuracy of its evaluation of the Jewish situation, either before the advent of Nazism or afterwards, end quote.
1: And Theodore Adorno's work, and it's, it's, um, McDonald goes into it in Chapter 5 of the Cultural Critique, Theodore Adorno's work attacks the Gentile family, as he calls it, time and again and over and over and over as, as being sadistic and racist and the, the father is being authoritarian and the children is being oppressed and never does he say anything about Jewish families. It's incredible. It's an incredible act of hypocrisy. And 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 they, they actually admit in many places that the root of, of the problem, it's, it's the root of the Gentile family and the, author, the authoritarian father figure is, is the cause of anti-Semitism.
0: Absolutely. In fact, right before the show I was talking about how I was posting on a conservative forum about survivalism and the Second Amendment. Someone started a thread about why anti-Semitism exists. And all the prevailing theories by the posters were that people are ignorant, we just decided to hate the Jews to compensate for our bad lives. And I said that these theories never entertain the idea that Jewish behavior may factor into the um, situation in regards to how they've been hated everywhere at every time by every group of people. And these people didn't just wake up and spontaneously say, our lives stink, let's blame the Jews for everything. Then I posted about 15 quotes by the Jews, and I said that their own teachings put them at odds with the greater portion of the world. And then a Jew immediately came on there and he used um, several expletives and then several words referring to female reproductive anatomy to refer to me. And I asked him if that
2: was all he had and then he just used some more. His,
1: um, the authoritarian, I'm reading from McDonald's Cultural Critique. The authoritarian personality begins by acknowledging Freud as a, genital, as a general influence. Uh, the Authoritarian Personality is the reference to Adorno's book. Begins by acknowledging Freud as a general influence, and especially his role in making the intellectual world more aware of the suppression of children, both within the home and outside, and society's usually naive ignorance of the psychological dynamics of the life of the child and the adult alike. Now, now doesn't um isn't it the Jewish ideal to separate, to liberate our children from us?
0: The same sort sure of liberation that they supposedly brought to our women.
1: And and if they liberate our children from us, then, then children become um, fair game for their sexual desires.
0: Don't be Jewish for the rabbis. Jewish
1: sexual desires and exploits, right. That Isn't exploits. that why
0: all the leading psychologists today are saying that children are stunted because we're not masturbating them when they're five?
1: Well, that's absolutely Jewish thought. That's incredible. That's incredibly disgusting.
0: Mm, And those Jewish
1: psychologists, where is the the groundwork for their education? (laughs) It's in the
0: Frankfurt School. And it's in Freud. But the the UN is actually advocating now that all member nations, particularly the industrial countries in the West, adopt policies whereby three-year-olds and five-year-olds, people in that age group will be taught about sex, how to enjoy their bodies, and they will be sexually stimulated by their parents or by their teachers and professors. They're saying that kindergartners should be instructed in how to masturbate and shown how if necessary. That's absolutely disgusting. And you know that some rabbi had to come up with that.
1: That's incredible that that those desires are even made public. Of course some rabbi came up with that. What do you want from a a people whose chief clerics Stuck on the penises of newly castrated, in, of of newly so, circumcised infants.
0: The boys basically ten week or ten days into this world, and they want a phallicum.
1: Yeah, that's what they do. That's what I they remember, do. It's common knowledge. It's it's been out in the media.
0: I remember reading in New York City how many Jewish infants were getting herpes and dying. So there were some doctors asking the rabbis to stop phallicing them to remove the blood from the circumcision wound. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the laws of Moses, which the Jews claim to follow, but of course don't follow, were forbidden from taking blood in the mouth.
1: Right. Well, well we're forbidden from consuming blood. And and that's a, that's what they're doing. They're consuming blood.
0: And sodomy is also forbidden, too. So they're not supposed to be fellatizing people.
1: No. And and it's clearly sodomy. And it was recognized as sodomy for, for 19 centuries of Christian civilization.
3: It, it's only it was,
1: in the 20th century that... That fellation it ceased to be sodomy.
0: We would call it homosexuality, pedophilia, molestation, and any number
2: of words. There's a, um, McDonald quotes a Jew, Daniel Levinson,
1: who's commenting on, on Adorno's work. Levinson oh. notes that anti-Semites tend to see Jews as members of groups rather than individuals. And he suggests that the effectiveness of individual experience with Jews would seem to depend in large part on the individual's capacity for individuated experiences. In other words, the person that has, and this is a Jew, Jew rationality, the person that has a bad experience with the Jew is the one that's responsible for it. It's never the fault of the Jew.
0: And I'd like to finish reading the paragraph you started about the authoritarian personality. In congruence with this general perspective, Adorno and his colleagues, in common with most social scientists, hold, that, hold the view that antisemitism is based more largely upon factors in the subject and in his total situation than upon actual characteristics of Jews. The roots of antisemitism are therefore to be sought in individual psychopathology the deep lying needs of the personality and not in the behavior of the jews and isn't this critical for the Jews? They need to shift the blame from themselves to their victims.
1: They constantly do that, and whenever you see the blame on the victim, bear in mind that it's the Jew responsible for that psych- psychotic psychotic evaluation hmm. well we don't have We need more psychologists like
0: McDonald
1: to start attacking the psychology of the Jews.
0: Do you remember that campaign in the 80s? I was too young to actually remember it at the time, but I've read it in history books and seen the original posters. It had a car with a, a purse or something on the seat, and the doors were unlocked, and it would say, don't help a good boy go bad or don't make a good boy go bad. The implication being that the boy was good, and the um, victim created the opportunity for that boy to become bad by leaving the car unlocked and the purse on the seat, although a genuinely good person, it wouldn't matter.
1: Is is the reason, is the purpose for psychology to normalize the, the deviant behavior of the Talmud? It seems to me to be that way.
0: That's what it is today. The rationalization and justification of Jewish perversion.
1: Absolutely.
2: And and that's why psychologists exist today, at least most of them. It's incredible. All right, and
3: where do we leave off?
2: Here, you know... In this authoritarian personality,
1: um, Adorno gets into in-groups and out-groups, and and this is all all from a psychological perspective. The further development of liberal radical views is ordinarily based on imagery and attitudes identical to those underlying anti-ethnocentric ideology, opposition to hierarchy and dominant submission, removal of class and group barriers, emphasis on equalitarian interaction and so on. Ethnocentrists tend to be submissive to in group activity. Anti ethnocentrics ethnocentrists tend to be critical and rebellious. The family is the first and prototypic in group. And and he goes on to explain how the, the the family is a unit of the race, and destroying the family is the destruction of the in group it 's us destroying our
0: race group. can only be accomplished after they 've destroyed the family structure of our race
1: absolutely and and that's why in the in the sixties and seventies they aimed for
0: the destruction
1: of the family unit.
0: Everything they instituted then had been instituted. In the 20s and 30s in Soviet Russia, they they pushed for for as many women to get into the workplace as possible. They pushed for state-provided daycare so strangers would raise your children. And women thought, wow, this is great. I can work and someone will take care of my kids for free. But you get what you pay for. And since they weren't paying anything, they got what they paid for, brainwashed loser children. They promoted abortion on demand, basically no-fault divorce. So everything that they tried in the 60s had already been done. There was nothing really new about the so-called 60s revolution. It was 40 years old and it had been done in Soviet Russia.
1: Right, absolutely. It, it was the, the Judaization of America was what it was.
0: And they had tried to do it in Germany. They'd gotten away with some of it during Weimar, but then Hitler put an end to it. And
1: that's and when that's they had to bring
0: the whole world down on him.
1: Exactly. And, and we engaged in the destruction of our own civilization. Because if Hitler was successful,
2: then they would have never gotten that off here. It would have never happened here or in England. And and now it's England. It's not only England, it's Scandinavia
1: and Australia, too. I, I mean, it's the entire races. It is Judaized and, and partying it up with the devil.
0: And they needed a central base of operations. That's why they all went to Russia. To overthrow the Tsar and turn that country basically into a communist assembly line.
1: I I don't know why the Jew thought he would be most successful in Russia. But they you know they also tried in Spain right after Russia.
0: But I don't think they were counting on Hitler and Mussolini intervening. They probably weren't even counting on Franco rising up. You know the, the communists tried to seize power in Spain. Franco said no He got enough army officers together in Spanish Morocco, where the Spanish Foreign Legion, the elite paratroopers, were deployed. And then he spoke with um, some representatives from Germany and Italy, and they said, yes, we'll provide the transport craft to transport your paratroopers back to Spain. And that began the civil war. What were you saying about Spain though, sir?
2: It it seems to me that if they, they were successful at take maybe they
1: wanted Spain because then they have both ends of Europe and, and mm-hmm. they could you know, like they, they credited Hitler with with um the invent the invention of the pincer strategy in war, but they actually had conceived a giant pincer strategy before that.
0: Well they would have been able to shut down the western part of the Mediterranean, and the, and the Soviets would have terrorized commerce in the eastern part of the Mediterranean.
1: Absolutely, they, they would have had Europe, you know, envelopes basically. And
0: they went course, wild in Spain. In they basically country. everything they did in Soviet Russia during the Bolshevik uprising, they did again, or they tried to do in Spain. They killed clergy. They they killed several thousand. They raped nuns. I've actually I, I have pictures of Spanish priests. They're wearing their clerical robes. But they're holding rifles. One of them's manning a machine gun, and several are behind an infantry gun and an anti-tank gun because they had to defend themselves or else the communists were going to kill them.
1: Well, I'd like to get back to the authoritarian, authoritarian personality. I'd like to read part of McDonald's um, right. wrap-up or evaluation of it. The influence of the Frankfurt School, although it is difficult to assess the effects of works like the authoritarian, the authoritarian personality on Gentile culture, There is there can be little question that the thrust of the radical critique of Gentile culture in this work, as well as other works inspired by psychoanalysis and its derivatives, was to pathologize high investment parenting and upward social mobility, as well as pride in family, religion, and country among Gentiles. Certainly many of the central attitudes Of largely successful 60s countercultural revolution find expression in the authoritarian personality, including idealizing rebellion against parents, which is still idealized today. It's considered Hmm. normal today. Low investment sexual relationships and scorn for upward social mobility, social status, family pride, the Christian religion, and patriotism we have seen that despite this antagonistic perspective on Gentile culture, Jewish 60s radicals continued to identify with their parents and with Judaism. Hmm. The countercultural revolution was in a very deep sense a mission to the Gentiles in which adaptive behavior and group identifications of Gentiles were pathologized While Jewish group identification, in-group pride, family pride, upward social mobility, and group continuity retained their psychological importance and positive moral evaluation. In this regard, the behavior of these radicals was exactly analogous to that of the authors of the authoritarian personality and Jewish involvement in psychoanalysis, and radical politics generally, gentile culture and gentile group strategies are fundamentally pathological, and are to be anathemized in the interests of making the world safe for Judaism as a group evolutionary strategy.
3: Mm.
1: And that well, I, I think that he's underplaying the importance of the authoritarian personality on our culture. However, at the beginning of his assessment. He told us that thousands of, social, of studies in social sciences early on were based upon it. So, so in I think a word, that he doesn't even realize the impact it had on all those people that graduated from the social sciences in, in the 60s and 70s and got jobs in government.
0: But if we had to sum it up in a word, Kevin MacDonald is saying that the Jews are hypocrites. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, he's definitely saying the Jews are hypocrites. But they, they they developed an entire science which is blind to their own hypocrisy and had a profound impact on our culture.
0: Our group identity and our in-group loyalty became illegitimate and unacceptable while they shored up and cemented their own sense of in-group loyalty.
1: Right, and actually it's two sciences because it's psychology and it's it's sociology. That that they polluted with with this um, these doctrines these beliefs and 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 these subversions and and that's um, why we should never trust so-called science because because we see how how easily one um,
2: so-called school of just a few intellectuals can poison the entire lot.
0: And yet today they are probably
2: hailed as the gurus of all of this great knowledge. Well, I'm they sure still they have, are absolutely. Sure there, they have there's no, of um, well.
1: there's virtually no no countering them in in the public mainstream. Uh, I mean, McDonald is is obviously countering them, and and he's a press. He's a professor of psychology at a main major university, but you're not going to hear about his work on CNN.
2: Yeah, you're in not fact, going
1: to hear about his work in the mainstream media. You're not he, going to hear a discreditation of all these 1960s icons in the mainstream Jewish media.
0: The ADL have him blacklisted, saying that he's a hate monger, and his work is um, they call it scientific racism.
2: Uh,
1: well, it's it seems to me that the Frankfurt School is—they're the scientific racists.
2: I, I mean, their work is evident.
0: They have psychologically disarmed us so that, in the minds, in the eyes of most of our people, defending ourselves as a race is no longer legitimate, valid, and moral.
1: Well, well, that's because people can't see the ADL for what it really is. The ADL is just a. Um, It's the public relations unit for history's longest-running crime gang,
3: Mm. the
1: Jews. They're history's longest-running crime ring, and the ADL is their PR unit. The ADL will defend them at every turn, and and it doesn't matter what the crime is. The ADL is going to defend
0: them. Mm. So the Jew is always innocent. The goyim is always guilty.
2: Absolutely.
0: Doesn't the Talmud teach that if a Jew harms a goyim, there shall be no punishment? Well
1: the ADL is the 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 um yeah, right, it's the public relations enforcement branch for the Talmudists. That that's history's longest running crime ring, that's who I'm talking about. The Jews, the, the, the satanic Edomite Jew.
2: And and the Talmud is their crime manual and the ADL is their, their PR front. All right, shall we continue reading from the culture of critique, or shall we go back to Wheatland? Well, we should probably go back to Wheatland and, and
1: try to get through that tonight. I mean, the whole thing's only 3,200 words, but we're only about halfway there. All
0: right. Wheatland presents evidence that the Institute separated themselves from Fromm because of his revisionist views on psychoanalysis. Nevertheless, the separation was more tactical than real. Isn't this very common in Jewish thought? or in absolutely. Jewish circles, they've separated themselves from the Soviet Union by erroneously and fictitiously claiming that the Soviet Union became anti-Semitic in the 60s or 70s, or that Stalin purged some Jews, so therefore the Jews have no responsibility for the crimes of the Soviet Union. And I think that was just posturing. They and, accused uh,
1: Stalin of being an anti-Semite, and he was a Jew.
0: Absolutely.
1: And he was married to Jews. Mm. And and they have they have... The idea that Stalin was an anti-Semite has so permeated Western society through the media that even nationalists tell me I'm crazy when I try to explain to them that Stalin was a
2: Jew mm. that so they're they're all brainwashed, but they're the same clowns that would believe that Hitler
1: was a Jew. To deny Stalin was a Jew and, and the exact opposite is true.
0: Both Frome and his former Frankfurt colleagues developed a similar intellectual rationale for radical individualism among whites, mainly because they viewed it as effective in combating antisemitism. Prototypical individualists such as libertarians are much less prone to enmeshing themselves in cohesive groups, especially mass movements of ethnic defense. They have no allegiance to their race, their culture, or even their family. The following is a famous passage from Fromm's Escape from Freedom, 1941. There is only one possible, productive solution for the relationship of individualized man with the world, his active solidarity with all men and his spontaneous activity, love, and work, which unite him again with the world, not by primary ties such as family, religion, ethnic group, and race, but as free and independent individual. However, if the economic, social, and political conditions do not offer a basis for the realization of individuality in the sense just mentioned, while at the same time people have lost those ties which gave them security, this lag makes freedom an unbearable burden. It then becomes identical, without doubt, with a kind of life which lacks meaning and direction. Powerful tendencies arise to escape from this kind of freedom into submission or some kind of relationship to man and the world, which promises relief from uncertainty, even if it deprives the individual of its freedom. Eric Frome, escape from freedom. In other words, psychologically healthy people have no psychological ties to anything except their active solidarity with all of humanity. This lack of eth- ethnic commitment is what defines freedom. So essentially, freedom for a Jew is, the, as you've said before, freedom to be a pervert, and liberation for a Jew is liberation from those values which will keep you safe.
3: Absolutely.
1: And, and that's why freedom for for, for a Jew means, me, means being able to strut down Fifth Avenue wearing a song mm-hmm. and, and engaging in homosexual activity in public. And
0: I've seen things like that in public before.
1: Yeah, and, and 99% of the time they're Jews or, or people goaded by the Jews into doing stuff like that.
0: And they think that somehow they've empowered themselves by debasing themselves. Absolutely. Frome never saw any contradictions between this philosophy and his own strong Jewish identification. Of course not. Frome derived from an Orthodox Jewish religious background. Well, was- well,
1: McDonald, let me, let me make the mistake that McDonald actually believes, you know, he's an evolutionist. He's not a Christian. And and he has the Jewish behavior down, and, and he knows it exactly, but he actually believes that they are the people of the Old Testament, and, and mm-hmm. that they are, you know... That that the Old Testament teaches righteousness, and, and the Jews believe the Old Testament. He he actually he he understands the Talmud to a degree, but he thinks that the Jews actually follow the religion of the Old Testament.
0: That's a great that's a great mistake. But other than that, it seems his work is solid.
1: Yeah, well, he's not a historian and he's not a theologian. But from a totally blind aspect, his work concerning Jew, Jewish psychology. And, and, and what the Jews have done to our society through the abuse of their so-called sciences, his work is very solid.
0: Right. Fromm derived from an Orthodox Jewish religious background and was actively involved in promoting Jewish religion and culture in his 20s. Like many secular Jews on the left, Fromm's view of Judaism was that it was a set of ethical humanistic beliefs. Indeed, it is common to assert that his view of Judaism had a strong influence on his humanistic psychology. Obviously, such a view of Judaism ignores the strong Jewish emphasis on identifying with an ethnically based in-group and all that that entails in terms of between-group conflict, rather than with humanity as a whole. It also ignores the notorious moral particularism, is it good for the Jews, that is so characteristic of Judaism. In any case, although he later distanced himself from Judaism, it is reported that Frome never tired of singing Hasidic songs or studying scripture. One suspects that whatever Fromm's public pronouncements, his identification with Judaism was quite a bit stronger than his identification with humanity. And don't the <laughs> Jews always claim to identify with and associate with and somehow they, they feel the pain of the poor oppressed black man in Africa or the Mestizos in Central America, yet they always simply use these people to undermine our civilization and then discard them?
1: Well, right, and that's why, you know, I I, I, had, I had cited this paper by this Catholic uh, on the Frankfurt School when we began tonight, and, and he mentioned 11 of their goals, and goal number one was the creation of racism offenses.
0: Yet they don't identify with the Palestinians, whose land they're living on. And,
1: and, and the, you know, apartheid is fine in, in Palestine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's evil in white lands. The, the Gentiles have no right to, to engage in apartheid. That's a crime. But the Jews can do it all the time.
0: In fact, apartheid actually is a crime now under the UN conventions and the Hague Agreement.
1: Well, well, then why aren't why isn't every Jew in prison? <laughs> that they're, they're all supporting apartheid in, in Palestine.
2: Are they not? Mm-hmm. It, it's the hypocrisy is unbearable. All, all right, where, where are we at? Where, where huh? at um. While Fromm remained a
1: psychoanalytic, have you have you read that? You've read that already.
0: No. While Frome remained a psychoanalytic revisionist, the Frankfurt School and orth, retained an orthodox view of psychoanalysis. This had a major payoff for the Frankfurt School because it was able to ally itself with the Ernst Simmel's psychoanalytic institute. Simmel, a powerful and well-connected psychoanalyst, had direct ties to Freud, the gold standard of psychoanalytical royalty. Those with direct ties to the master enjoyed a privileged position within psychoanalysis, a sure sign, among many others, that we are dealing with a cult rather than a scientific movement. Absolutely. He then, he then promoted the Frankfurt School's work and called for research on antisemitism within the American Psychiatric Association, page 325, at a time when psychoanalysis used its political muscle to dominate the APA. Simmel also sought funding for the Frankfurt School from wealthy, presumably Jewish, benefactors of psychoanalysis. The entire episode is a wonderful example of Jewish ethnic networking that had the effect of subverting scientific psychiatry. Psychoanalysis is clearly a Jewish intellectual movement, as indicated not only by the ethnic background of the leading lights of the field, but also by the support it received from the wider Jewish community. The subject of Chapter 4 of the Culture of Critique. Fortunately, the rise of scientific psychiatry has resulted in in the more or less complete eradication of psychoanalysis within mainstream psychiatry. Ultimately, this was due mainly to the rise of biological psychiatry, as well as the usefulness of cognitive and learning perspectives derived from mainstream psychology. During a heyday, however, psychoanalysts like Simmel used their position of power within the APA to promote psychoanalysis and psychoanalytic theories of antisemitism an effort that had the effect of retarding scientific research in psychiatry. In the event, the Institute received funding for its Studies in Prejudice Project, including the Authoritarian Personality, from the American Jewish Committee, AJC. Wheatland also shows that the ADL was enthusiastic about the project. The Institute's successful funding proposal argued that modern anti-Semitism aims not only at exterminating the Jews, but also at annihilating liberty and democracy, it has become the spearhead of the totalitarian order.
1: Now, now attacks- I, I have to I have to cut in. Are the Jews the authors of liberty and democracy?
0: <laughs> How many Jews signed the Declaration of Independence?
1: I don't think I saw any. <laughs> That's just incredible. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. They pervert everything. They uh, think I'm that they are.
0: They associate themselves as being the moral compass of the world, don't they? They think that they are the purveyors and the carriers and the bearers of freedom, democracy, liberty, and all that is right, good, and pure.
1: And they've not done none of it. And and their idea of democracy and and liberty are absolutely perverted. And and they're not just they're just not the same thoughts about those things that we have in our heads.
0: It has become the spearhead of the totalitarian order. The attacks on the Jews are not primarily aimed at the Jews but at large sections of modern society, especially the free middle classes, which appear as an obstacle to the establishment of totalitarianism. In other words, the war on anti-Semitism was really a war against those who would destroy democracy, freedom, and the middle classes, clearly an attempt to appeal to mainstream America.
1: And, and you know, I've listened to Michael Savage. Did you, did you ever listen to him? No. He's a Jew, and, and he's a kind of popular... um a m radio news you know talk talk show host and mm-hmm. and he's um he he plays the conservative and and he's actually he has about ninety percent of the constructionist conservative message right except that he's an ardent Zionist mm-hmm. and he equates he consistently equates Anti-Semitism with anti-Americanism. And I don't even know how the two are rooted together. I don't know how the two are in the same box.
0: What, does he think that you can't be a good American unless you kiss the Jews' butt?
1: Right. If you're an anti-Semite, you're an evil
0: anti-American. What do Jews have to do with the founding principles of this nation? Well,
1: it's just that they like to usurp both sides of the argument and control every political
0: position so they win no matter who no matter whoever wins the jew wins
1: right and and savage actually um he he actually makes about 10 million people in this country think there's a political solution so so they don't look any further but to him and and that's about how many listeners he has probably and and it's the, it distracts he's one jew playing Pied Piper and leading ten million people every night down the wrong path. And and that's what the Jews enjoy doing. And and he equates and and, and that's what I'm trying to show is that this is still the Jewish mindset today. That
2: McDonald has this absolutely right.
0: Alright. Particularly interesting is that prior to the publication of the Studies and Prejudice series Commentary developed a public relations campaign to promote the books. Commentary is an important intellectual magazine published by the AJC. Quote, from the very first issue in 1945, the magazine began to publish a series of uniformly uncritical articles that brought the work of the Horkheimer Circle to the attention of American readers. End quote. After the Frankfurt School received funding from the AJC, Horkheimer's office and commentary were housed in the same building. Nathan Glazer, a prominent New York intellectual, got his job at commentary because he was already working for Horkheimer. There was an obvious congruence between the views of the AJC and the Frankfurt School. Rather than simply fulfilling Jewish aims that had been dramatically highlighted by the Holocaust, the Studies and Prejudice series was envisioned to be a broader contribution to American society and culture, efforts consistent with the AJC's desire to promote pluralism and, excuse me, and Jewish cultural interests within the United States, Unlike Partisan Review, which self-consciously promoted an ideal of cosmopolitan universalism that was framed by the influences of Marxism and modernism, Commentary was envisioned to be a distinctly Jewish magazine. Indeed, despite a carefully crafted public image of Commentary as completely independent of the AJC, in fact, its autonomy may have been more of an illusion than a reality. That's a quote from page 155. Wheatland cites evidence that Elliot Cohen... The editor of Commentary from 1945 to 1959 was occasionally reprimanded by the AJC Executive Board and at other times was pressured to promote projects advocated by the AJC. Significantly, Cohen encouraged members of the Frankfurt School to write for Commentary, and the AJC had become the main financial support for the Frankfurt School. Wheatland shows that Commentary played a major role in promoting the Frankfurt School's Studies and Prejudice Series including the disastrously influential, the authoritarian personality. The Institute also appealed to the wider Jewish community, publicizing their work, quote, through public lectures at Jewish colleges and local temples, end quote, as well as other public venues.
1: So this sounds Thank- like the whole, every Jew in America got, got in on the team behind the Frankfurt Institute and their corruption of our universities and our social sciences, and and the, the psycholo- you know the psychology occupation, and and oh. it it was an entirely Jewish movement.
0: If a Jew needs a job, he starts a foundation or he goes to a foundation run by some other Jew. Right, basically.
1: But but it it really makes it you know every Jew in the country got on a team at a Frankfurt school to corrupt Christian society. Hmm. And, and I'm exaggerating he- a little, but I mean the American Jewish Committee it, is basically a um. You know, it's a fundraising vehicle for Jewish interests.
0: Absolutely. An example of Frankfurt School writing and commentary is Leo Lowenthal's 1947 article on Heinrich Heine, a 19th century Jewish po- po- poet who converted to Christianity early in his career but later renounced his conversion. Isn't that isn't that touching? He converted but then he renounced it.
1: Well, he's an honest Jew almost. Because <laughs> usually they never renounce it, they just corrupt it.
0: Mm-hmm. Heine's religion is interesting because, of Wheatland, as Wheatland notes, it reflects not only Heine, Heine's attitude, but also the attitudes of the New York intellectuals and other members of the Frankfurt School. Heine, quote, sacrificed his Jewish traditions in order to embrace the same idea of cosmopolitanism embodied by the Enlightenment and the French Revolution that the Frankfurt School and the pre-war writers for Partisan Review adopted. For both groups, the Frankfurt School and the New York intellectuals, Marxism embodied the yearning for a repaired and redeemed humanity, a world in which racial prejudice and socioeconomic injustice were overcome, So that Jews can
1: have our daughters.
0: Eventually, however, Heine and Lowenthal and the other Frankfurters and New York intellectuals abandoned the Enlightenment and reverted to Jewish patriotism. Heine wrote that, My preference for Greece has declined. I see now that the Greeks were merely handsome youths, while the Jews were and still are grown men, mighty, indomitable men. Despite 18 centuries of persecution and misery, I have learned to rate them at their true value. Lowenthal concurred. Judaism was, quote, a tradition that need not be transcended in the name of loftier ideals, end quote.
1: I wonder why he only only, um, counts back Jewish persecution 18 centuries from from the 1900s.
0: It began with the Romans. Uh,
1: Well, I I, I guess it... it it, that's not really true, but that's what he's claiming.
0: He, he's certainly not including the Babylonian or Assyrian captivity. But then yeah, again, yeah, I'm thinking
1: that if he wanted to uphold his false Jewish identity, that that he should go back a little further in 18 centuries. That's what I'm thinking.
0: One, one would think he'd say at least 26 to 2800 years.
1: Hey, well, exactly, or, or maybe all the way back to Egypt and just say 35 centuries.
0: Mm-hmm he must know on some level he's being honest those aren't his people and those persecutions didn't impact his people
1: well uh, that might be but then he should probably only go back about um 14th century but that's okay i'm not, i'm not gonna it's just i'm i'm not quibbling uh, i'm just trying to show that it's basically um there's an element of hypocrisy there also
0: and then he he hones in on the greeks being handsome youths so it seems that even when they're talking about something unrelated, perversion is still front and center in their mind.
2: Well, it always is.
1: They, they can't open their mouths without, without some perversion falling out
0: of them. In other words, Jews could advocate cosmopolitan universalism for whites, while at the same time retaining their own Jewish identity. This is perhaps the fundamental intellectual stance of diaspora Jewish intellectuals since the Enlightenment and strikingly absent in Israel. Wheatland doesn't comment on the obvious contradiction here. White Christians are to give up their ethnic and religious attachments as outmoded and anti-democratic, while Jews fashion an ethnic identity that wears the mask of cosmopolitan universalism. To his credit, Wheatland presents at least some of the criticisms of the Studies in Prejudice series, and in particular, The Authoritarian Personality. As he notes, a consistent thread of the criticisms was the belief that the authors let their biases color their hypotheses and interpretations. My view on this body of work my views on this body of work are a bit more scathing quote It is not difficult to suppose that the entire program of research of the authoritarian personality involved deception from beginning to end end quote and that's essentially true, isn't it? Well
2: yeah, absolutely, but on, it's um, uh, it it's is is it a
1: deception in the Jewish mind? Uh, I mean that they want to seek to deceive us, yes, but they're not deceiving themselves. They know no. exactly what it's about. It's about the Judaism's absolute corruption of Christianity.
0: I think they actually sit down and they plan this out. They sit down and say, okay, how can we deceive and hurt the Goyim? Our our objective today is to figure out a way to destroy Western civilization and then they get on with it. (coughs) Excuse me. After World War II, the Institute returned to Germany with great fanfare. It received the generous support of HICOG, the U.S. High Commissioner in Occupied Germany, and the Rockefeller Foundation. Here we go again, another foundation. And its staff was viewed as a living bridge to the past. It's fascinating that Adorno then embarked on a series of articles completely repudiating the entire concept of empirical research. Perhaps agreeing with me that the authoritarian personality and the rest of the studies in prejudice series were not really empirical research at all. So, who would repudiate empirical research other than somebody who hates empirical research because his own work couldn't stand up to empirical research?
1: Right. They they want to be able to pervert everything, and it's it's very difficult to to deny what's been gained through experience of of so many centuries of contact with these people.
0: But now they say that that experience is meaningless and we're all pathological and we have to take their word for it.
1: Basically that's what it boils down to. Well we're pathological, our experience is not congruent with, with um reality so we have to um abide by what they say in order to in order to have healing is basically the, the conclusion they're arriving at.
0: Adorno would presumably not agree with me that these works were nothing more than thinly disguised, ethnically motivated ideology, but that's what it was, aided and abetted by the organized Jewish community.
1: That's what they are. It, it's it's the perversion of Christianity, and, and it basically boils down to the fact that the Jews knew by destroying the family unit our children would be fair game for their own lusts and desires and and mm-hmm. and they would not be able to corrupt our children unless they destroyed the family unit and and the frankfurt school was the beginning of that destruction by planting by planting all of these seeds in the minds of academia so that they could corrupt Countless generations of youths, fifty years down the road, and that's exactly what they did.
0: So they know that essentially, in that regard, time was on their side. They didn't mind waiting five decades if they had to to gain the entire world.
1: Well, well, basically, that <laughs> basically time is on their side. That boils down to you know that's the long march of Gramsci and Antonio Gramsci that we discussed last week. Mm -hmm. They knew the destruction of Christianity would take a long time to complete, but they were also confident they could do it.
0: But don't they have to know on some level that they're going to lose in the end anyway when Yeshua returns and kills every last one of them?
1: Well, I think that subconsciously they, they probably know that. The devil knows that he has but a short time. That's what it says in the Revelation.
0: Hmm. But he so wants he, to ruin as many of God's children as he can while he has the chance.
1: Well, well, I mean, the end game for the devil is to try to destroy us all so that when when Yahweh returns, there is no none of his people left in the earth.
0: Hmm. Now we're promised That's, that that won't happen. And the Christian hope and,
1: and promises that that won't happen. That's right. That there will always be a remnant.
0: And were it not for that promise, we would likely be fast on our way there.
1: Well, we are fast on our way there. And and the Christian hope and promise is that those days will be shortened, lest there be no flesh saved.
0: But right now there still are approximately, I'd say, 800 million white people in the world. You think
1: there's 800 million white people in the world?
0: They say 1.2 billion. I don't believe that. I'd say closer to 800 million.
1: I think 800 million is wishful thinking. If they say 1.2 billion, I'd say 400 million.
2: They're counting all kinds of Arabs as white people. Hmm. They're counting but all kinds it, of Mamsers as white people,
0: including the Jews. There's at least 50 million whites, though, in France, probably another 50, 60 million in Germany, 100 million in Russia. At least 50 million whites and,
1: in France or is 30 million, of them, 20 million of them Moors?
0: I don't think – the Moors really – they were only in France for a year or two. They They—they tried to charge their way up into the central part of France. They were turned back at Tours in 732, and they never came back. You,
1: you know, Napoleon brought in large numbers of Moors after the Napoleonic Wars.
0: For what purpose?
1: To repopulate, because he destroyed all the all – he destroyed the flower of France's youth and in his, in his crazy invasion of Russia and, and many other places, his wars with the Germans.
0: And England sold themselves out to the Jewish bankers to raise money to fight Napoleon. Isn't yeah, that amazing?
2: amazing? And how many
1: Saxons would be in, in, in the world today if the English and the Germans didn't fight the wars of the 8th, 19th and 20th centuries? Hmm. You know how many white people would be in the world? That probably, There probably would be two billion if we didn't
0: fight all those senseless wars. But now but the from world the is...
1: Napoleonic Wars to the Civil War... And to the American Civil War and, and up through World War II.
0: Now the world is probably 70% Asiatic, isn't it?
1: Well, well, it's very high, yes. Well, we're a remnant, and we're going to be a much smaller remnant in another generation. And and if this goes two more generations on, uh, I think that Yahweh might want to get us back down
0: to eight, <laughs> like, he, like we had with the flood. But really, if this thing doesn't come to head fast... There may not be any of us left.
2: Well,
1: that's exactly what I'm trying to say. And I think we showed that the, the um the Frankfurt school set out to destroy the family. I hope we showed that because that was my purpose.
0: I believe we did. So they had disgusting, perverse intentions from the very beginning. They had malice in their hearts. Yes they did.
1: And and it was a hundred year plan, basically it is from, from the time it was conceived until now is is almost ninety years. From the time so, of that first meeting at, at the, the the Marx Institute in Leningrad, it's it's in Moscow. I mean, it's it's been ninety years.
0: So we could rightly say that, with malice in their hearts and a grin on their face, they plunged the dagger into the soft underbelly of white civilization in an ideologically calculated campaign.
2: Okay, what are we going to talk about next week?
0: We could discuss the Frankfurt School as it originally was in Europe and the impacts of cultural Marxism in Great Britain and Scandinavia.
1: Okay, I'm a little short on source material in in, in those aspects.
0: I will bring a few things in from F. Roderick Stoltheim, The Riddle of the Jews' Success. In so much that I will discuss how the Jews go out of their way to ruin white women in particular.
1: Okay. That sounds good.
0: All right.
1: Yahweh bless. Part three next week.
2: And Yahweh bless. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, and praise Yahweh.